When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. It's the Tom Bernard Show. Sitting in for Tom Bernard, I'm Dave Schrader, along with Mike Molina. Mike Kaplan. And it's a freaky Friday the 13th. We'll continue talking about all the weird Friday the 13th links, more scary movie topics, and more with our guest comedian Mike Kaplan from the Acme Comedy Club this weekend, right here on the Tom Bernard Show. Michael Bryant, Brad Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Well, basically, we're trying to represent people who have been hurt, then talk to them before they talk to an adjuster. Uh, one of the key points is to make sure you know what your rights are before you start talking to the insurance company and they start asking you questions or they try to settle your case early early and cheap. Well, what's interesting to me is, you know, a lot of people have fear of attorneys. It makes them very uncomfortable. They get nervous about it. What should I do? I've known Michael for years and years now, and I would highly recommend you. So that should be good enough for everybody because I don't endorse people who are dirtbags. Well, I I appreciate that. Um, But I guess the key is, is people think I'll charge them if I talk to them. Right. So a lot of people call me up. It's like, how much is this going to cost if you call me back? Like, you want me to call you back? How much will that cost? I don't charge people. The only way I get paid is if we recover, um, if we get money from the the other side. And there's a lot of people I talk to that I never get paid for that are just part of giving them advice to make sure they know what they can do and what their rights are. And your record's terrific as well, we should point out. Well, it works. It's been good. <laughs> it's been good, ladies and gentlemen. It's been good. And how do they contact you? At, uh, e- either through our website, which is minnesotapersonalinjury.com, minnesotapersonalinjury.com, or at 800-770-7008. Michael Bryant, Bradshaw, and Bryant. Walzer Automotive is a Minnesota family-owned business. It started in the 50s. It's grown by leaps and bounds, especially in the past few years, and they now have 23 dealerships spread across two states. The Walzer way includes upfront, no-haggle pricing on every single new and used vehicle they sell. If you change your mind, no problem. Check out Walzer's three-day return and 30-day exchange policy. I'm a customer, my family are customers, and many of my friends have bought cars from them. The Walzer way is really different, and I know you'll be pleasantly surprised. For great deals on new or used Acura, Audi, Buick, BMW, Chevrolet, Chrysler, Dodge, GMC, Honda, Hyundai, Jaguar, Jeep, Land Rover, Lexus, Mazda, Mercedes, Mini, Nissan, Porsche, Ram, Subaru, or Toyota, go to Walzer.com, Walzer Automotive Group, Walzer.com. Just what we need in Minnesota, Mike. More storms. Snow, rain, take your pick. We've got it all happening today in Minnesota. Tom Bernard is off until Monday. He will return with the family at that point. I'm your host today, Dave Schrader, sitting in with Mike Molina and Mike Kaplan from Acme Comedy Club. He's there tonight and tomorrow. What time shows? 8 and 10.30? Is that what you said? You did it. Hey! You heard, you remembered, you regurgitated. 8 and 10.30 tonight and tomorrow. Later on in the show, Dr. Knowledge himself, Charles Reichbloom, will join us. He's written the book, The All-Time Book of Fascinating Facts. We'll be talking about that uh, Friday 13th. Where does this come from? Why are people so fascinated by this? Plus, he's going to show us how uh, Friday 13th isn't just all about bad luck. What? Yeah, I know. So he's got some interesting information to share with us a little bit later on in the show. We were talking about um, horror movies with Jonathan from Dread Central. True. Uh, You know what I've always enjoyed? I like the movies with more of a, a dynamic with the personalities involved kind of like going all the way back to the twilight zone the, the episode the monsters of Ma- uh, maple street i think it is hmm. where there's this nugget of well these monsters have invaded it could be anyone 
And it's watching kind of the dynamic breakdown of how people react towards one another. They did it better, I think, in It or uh, The Thing. Okay. John Carpenter's The Thing movie. I see. Have you ever seen that one, Mike uh, Molina? Uh, no. Uh, but I do like John Carpenter, especially Halloween. That was, uh, well, with the, the Thing movie, it's you're set out in the Antarctic, so you've got this kind of, uh, in the science base, where they've unleashed something from the ice, and oh, it's yeah. moving from person to person. Ah, uh, yeah. And it's uh, it's Kurt Russell again. And it's it's got that claustrophobic feel, but it's how do you start treating one another? And then they, they kind of revisit that with the with the Alien movie. It also reminds me of uh, Fallen. Did you see that movie? Yes. There's like, you know, an angel, a fallen angel that's possessing different people that, you know, if you're, it's in one person, then it touches another person, then it's in that person. So like you can't, you literally can't trust anybody to be the person was that, that you Denzel think. Was that Denzel Washington? It was. Yeah. And John Goodman. Yes, that's right. Uh, and speaking of John Goodman, he was in another good one, uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane. Oh, yeah. That came out a few years ago. And again, that's kind of this, there's this world above that's going haywire, but you don't know why. And you don't know if John Goodman's a good guy, a bad guy, a lunatic, what's what's happening oh, in his world. Oh, he seems like a great guy. And it's it's a really well done movie, but that's kind of in the same vein of The Night of the Living Dead, the original. Mm-hmm. That again, that claustrophobic feel of bringing people together that normally might not have walked in the same circles. And how do they deal with tragedy as as the world around them is starting to go crazy do you guys watch uh, black mirror i have not watched it yet. oh is man it good? i love it yeah it's it's all kinds of this stuff now that's an anthology right so every episode's kind of a different story correct yeah are they are they good scary stories are they uh, you know because in a lot of these anthologies i find that there's a lot more miss than there is hit i think there's a for me there's a lot of hit like it's uh I haven't watched all the Twilight Zone, but I right. feel like it's the—I mean, certainly the same kind of thing as the Twilight Zone. And are I are they amping it up though more with the gore kind of stuff? No, I, I think that most episodes are. I mean, the thing that's different specifically about Black Mirror than Twilight Zone is that it's almost always about like something technological. Maybe always, mm-hmm. like it's some sort of uh, you know tech, new thing that uh, oh wow, what, what a futuristic great thing this is. This is like oh contact lenses that you can use to rewind your experience of the day because it requires everything and like what that uh, that sort of implications can have on you know uh, a friendship a relationship you know a working life thing and it's so a lot of it is you know more the kinds of like not being able to trust as opposed to like there's some of them are gory but most of them are not so that sounds almost kind of like the monkey's paw situations right if we you make this wish and then what is the negativity that comes with it yeah that sounds right very cool. But I'll have to check that out. Now, that's yeah. on Netflix, right? It is. All right. That's one I want to check out. Um, another good one to kind of revisit is the original Invasion of the Body Snatchers and then the one they did in the 80s hmm. that had Leonard Nimoy, Donald Sutherland, oh. that uh, Jeff Goldblum. That's one of, I think, one of his earliest roles. And it is, again, a great ensemble movie cast where you're watching the world kind of de-evolve around these people and what is their reaction to the fact that, that people are being replaced by these emotionless pod versions of us and then where is the real enemy in this the aliens are coming here they're kind of purifying the earth they're still taking on our form we still have our memories and all of that but this new pod form is just there's no emotion so there's no need for war there's no need for anger so you know are we the bad guys for fighting this resistance are they the bad guys for trying to take us over so it kind of puts you into this thinking dynamic where i know a lot of people just want escapism they want to go see a movie and for that 90 minutes or two hours be transported and not have to think. But I, I kind of like being engaged in a movie. Well, that's the thing. Like in comedy, I've thought about and started talking about a little bit on stage, but also off stage on podcasts right now mm-hmm. about like the fact that some comedy is addressing what's happening in the moment. Like there's political comedians, there's people like talking about, you know, not necessarily trying to make change, but being like, what is going on? You right. know, being like, this is what's happening and this is what's ridiculous or funny about it. And the audience is engaging. And then sometimes people want that escape. Some people, you know, like Brian Regan is a wonderful master of comedy that you don't go to to be like, what's happening in the news? You know, you go to be like, I just I'm laughing a lot. And it's not to say that you can't love both kinds, but they're if you want one, I'd say just know what you're looking for. Like, obviously, not every person should go see a movie that makes them feel a way they don't want to see or a comedian that makes them think when they want to escape or, you know, whatever it is. I'd say just do some research, like watch a watch a preview, watch a clip before you go see something, because I think that both things are valuable. Like, it's important to address what is important in the world, what sort of, you know, the implications of, uh, you know, these movies and the the politics. Uh, I mean, when people are like, I don't I don't really care about politics. Like, well, then you probably uh, 
uh, do you care about people? Because like a lot of people right. are affected by <laughs> politics. And so it might be, if you're in a position where you don't have to care about politics, then maybe you could help. You could definitely like you're, if I'm set. Well, then there's a lot of people that aren't set. So you could help out. But, you know, you don't have to have it in your comedy all the time. You could have if you want to escape in your comedy and then contribute your time and money and efforts and resources somewhere else. But just, no, nah, I'm just going to just going to go on an island that I own and then uh, watch uh, whatever. What's the movie? Is that just just Brian Regan? Okay, great. I've had uh, a good friend of mine, Joshua P. Warren. He always brings me some of the most obscure things to watch. Mm. And I remember we were out filming uh, for a TV show and he, he takes me aside and he goes, uh, Dave, we got to watch this movie tonight. We're definitely going to need drinks, but we got to watch this movie. It's called The Human Centipede. Oh, sure. Have you seen this? I, I know about it and have not seen it. Molina, yeah. how about you? Have you checked out the the movie that is The Human Centipede? No, I have not. As This no. is a movie, again, not for everyone. i got to tell you, not for everyone. But, you know, Lenny Bruce, not for everyone. It's true. Right? And then you've got the Brian Regans who, are, you know, can kind of universally be accepted. But you're not... You're not looking for that niche market. What I did find, I mean, Human Centipede is definitely one of the most disturbing movies I've ever seen. Sure. But again, to me, I really enjoyed the weird dynamic of, of first of all, this broken human who's decided to sew people together mouth to butt, yep. creating this human centipede, and then watching the dynamic. And again, it, just, it sounds horrific, but then how do these people that are now connected to one another how do they deal with this new paradigm, their new world order? I mean, what what do you do in this situation? And that, to me, made it an interesting aspect. I had no interest in seeing part two or part three because I think what they were going for in part one was enough for me. Sure. But I still give it its, its due where I, I think it's a really fascinating movie of the horror that man does to one another. And, I mean, I guess my question is, not knowing anything about the movie other than the premise, uh, don't people just die? Like, if they're eating only what comes out of somebody's butt? Well, it, it, that's kind of the whole juxtaposition of the movie is it's just this weird, how do you, again, what do you do? And the horrors of what, your mind paints it much worse than than everything that's going on. So it's a, it's a very oh yeah sounds pretty bad bizarre movie but again it's one of those if you want outside of your comfort zone I don't mind going outside my comfort zone once in a while for a movie uh, but then then I'll tell you on the other end of things um, I'm not a war movie guy mm-hmm. uh, if you put me into that realm like I you know I'm, I watched Full Metal Jacket and and the '80s pantheon of of war movies that came out because I always got the feeling those were just overblown male machismo BS that was being slung around to, you know, it was the 80s, right? Everybody was trying to save POWs from Vietnam, and it was just a cycle of movies. But then I go see Saving Private Ryan, Mm -hmm. and I watched the first 10 minutes of that movie, and I I got up and walked out. It, to me, was so horrific because it was Real. real. And that, to me, I didn't want to be in that place. I didn't, and, and you know, I had a connection. My grandfather was a, um, paratrooper in world war ii for the 82nd airborne and i know he was part of these drops and to see the carnage that he must have been witness to that was unbelievably brutal for me i couldn't i really couldn't make it past the first 10 to 15 minutes and i'm the horror movie and and paranormal and spooky guy and that to me was just that took it to a whole new level of of what i I just couldn't put myself through that's really interesting there's a, a comedian friend of mine shane moss i don't know if you know uh he's very funny and years ago like the stuff that he's talking about now he's really into like science and consciousness and psychedelics mm-hmm. and he talks about those a lot but in the beginning he had just some sort of more like really funny like gross weird jokes right and he had a, a joke about finding like a, a sex dictionary online okay. and had all these terms that and one of them was called like the pudding pop and like i don't usually talk about this but in the context of human centipede, I don't think I'm going very far uh, afield of where we already have been. And so he talks, it's using, apparently he's like, the using, like a pudding pop is using frozen feces as a sex toy. He's like, oh now call me God. old fashioned, but that one sounds weird. <laughs> and like, he's like, because that's not just a, ju- a drunken whim. That's got to be at least like two drunken whims. Like, I'm a, I got so drunk, I, I crapped in the freezer. And then, uh, hey, what's in the freezer? Like, I guess I'll use this. And for me, like, I watched that the same way that you probably I listened to that and I think it's funny and it's art in the way that human centipede is 
like, oh, this is a weird, why, why is this happening? It's just, you know, somebody following like the logical implications right. of a thing that started in a real place and that has some, but you know, is ultimately like nobody in our real life experience that we know, we certainly don't know that anybody's really even doing this. It mm-hmm. could be just like, itself, like a fantasy that, you know, is based in reality. But I remember like one of the bookers at one of the clubs that where we were performing, she was just like, oh God, no, don't. And so for me, I could like intellectualize it and be like, this isn't happening. This isn't a real thing. I don't have to actually imagine this thing but she was like i can't i have this visceral like the idea that it it is real the and so like the same kind of reaction that you had to like saving private ryan you're like this is like i hate this this is not i i hate that this is and so i don't want to be reminded of it which i mean is probably why that movie is important because like we i mean all we're so removed in all of our life from you know the horrors that go on like i'm vegan and i know what goes on in factory farms and i don't like reading about it and i don't like seeing the movies and i'm like i want to not be a part of those things that i know are happening and i know plenty of meat eaters who are also like yeah i don't want to see those movies i don't want to know about it don't tell me about it because they want to remain in you know oblivious bliss like to not know what they know intellectually what they're contributing to but if they see it then they feel emotionally that i feel like uh, most reasonable people would be like this is not what should be happening this war is not what should be happening this you know this mistreatment this torture this all this unnecessary suffering doesn't have to be happening isn't it weird that we get that strange disconnect i mean you you look at okay you hear about you know the horrors that take place in africa Mm -hmm. but you know what it's africa i'm in minnesota hey what's for dinner tonight you know you hear about the devastating um uh, storms that pummeled puerto rico Oh, that's horrible. Hey, do you want to go check out the new movie Rampage this weekend? And and there's this weird disconnect. And I find that even when it hits landfall in the United States, when New York was underwater, mm-hmm. right, and, and this was going on, you're kind of in this insular world that even though we're more connected than we've ever been through social media and, and the news 24-7, you still have this, but that's not in my world. I think what I've heard is that there's like every human, you know, human beings used to not have all this access to all the, you know, information that was going on in the world, you know, just like a hundred years ago, 200 years ago, like most of human existence, you only knew your town, your community, maybe somebody would ride in with a horse and be like, Hey, the war that was happening is, you know, like news came in so much slower, but you, I think that we, uh, as I understand it evolved to have like, you know, sort of a tribal mentality that like say 150 people was about the number of people that you could know that you could thus care about and empathize with and like that's your people whether it was your town or your you know wandering tribe or whatever it was and then when you saw other people like well those aren't me even though of course we all are you know made of the same stuff we are all you know connected as part of the universe that we are but we are just in you know in our incarnation that we are now our body our experience our life we only can know like emotionally and viscerally this 150 people so that's why even when one horror happens we're like oh my god and then another horror happens and we're like well forget about that horror and this horror like we we can't have all of our attention on everything all of the time and you know so i i feel sympathy for us and I just want, I, we want to be able to help everybody in all the ways that we can, but we just can't, we can't know everything. We can't that do overload, everything. Right. Well, yeah. it was earlier this year, uh, Molina, remember they did something with Apple um, and they were showing that virtual world where he had put it on and then was showing the screens and it was Puerto Rico after the tragedy or travesty that had taken place there. And people were so offended that he was showing this and they're like, you're using this for entertainment. I'm like, no, he was making a point out of this. Look how close we can get back into that realm by doing this and that i think is the next step for science is putting us in that maybe that'll bridge that gap and bring us back to humanity we'll take a break we'll be back with more here on the tom bernard show did you know that 60 percent of people over the age of 60 are starting to experience cloudy blurry or dim vision due to cataracts tom bernard here for whiting clinic lasik and eye care whiting clinic is best known for their fabulous lasik results you've heard me rave about them for years but did you know they're also experts in cataract surgery Yes, indeed. And I'm here to tell you about my wonderful experience having cataract surgery at Whiting Clinic. I'm at that age when my vision started to fade, so called up the folks at Whiting Clinic, and they helped me out right away. My cataract surgery was super easy, and thanks to the Whiting Clinic, my vision is top-notch once again. Whiting Clinic has the most advanced lens technology options, so I can see far away and up close without wearing any glasses. If you want to learn more about your options for cataract surgery and clearer vision, attend one of Whiting Clinic's cataract seminars. Call Whiting Clinic at 855-554-2020 to reserve today. Space is limited, so don't delay. 
That's 855-555-2020 to learn more about your cataract surgery options at Whiting Clinic. Hi, this is Tom. If you spend any time at the lake, you can relate to the pure joy of hanging out on the dock. You, family, friends, and the calm of the water. If this sounds like heaven, you're going to want a flow dock. Flow docks are rock solid with double bracing to eliminate side-to-side sway. And get this, you could install, level, and remove your flow dock without even getting into the water. You see, Flo's passion to invent a better way to make life easier comes through in every product they make. Right down to Flo boat lifts that are quieter, faster, and effortless to install and use. Are you starting to see a pattern here? Flo is about making things easy, meaning you have more time to enjoy being at the lake. Isn't that why you go there in the first place? See for yourself why they say they've been perfecting leisure time since 1983. Call or visit Flo's newest dealer in Chanhassen. Lakeshore Equipment, 952-474-DOC, or lakeshoreequipment.com, of course. Flow docks and lifts, a better way. When you believe in things that you don't understand, then you suffer. Dr. Knowledge, Charles Reichloom, will join us in just a little bit. He's written the book, The All-Time Book of Fascinating Facts. We'll put him to the test on that. Sitting in studio with me right now, he's performing at Acme Comedy Club tonight and tomorrow, 8 and 10.30. You can still get some tickets. Make sure you get in there and get a... Acme is such a great place to see a comedy show. Love it. It's one of the best in the country. They've got great food, good drinks, great people, and then you. They get to see you. They've got great people and me. That's right. So there's a good time. You can check that out this weekend at Acme Comedy Club. If you're tired of the crappy weather, you're tired of watching TV, you want to get out, it's a Friday the 13th, why not go have some hilarity? Remember, it's not all about scary stuff on Friday the 13th. Oh, go no. out and enjoy yourself. Look out. The show is funny. And it's in 3D. Oh, yeah. It's totally 3D. Very and cool. it's uh, and it's in a building, so you won't get snowed or rained on. That was my first 3D movie was Friday the 13th 3D. Oh, 13D. Yes, my dad, my mom took me to go see it. That was probably one of the best 3D movies I've ever seen, too, because there's that scene where he's like walking. She's she's hung all the sheets on the line. Mm. And at one point, the sheets actually come off the screen as you see his shadow kind of playing. I love that visceral feeling of the 3D movies. Now it's kind of overdone to me. It's just more about the depth perception on screen. Sure. Do, do 3D movies do it for you or do you avoid that? I mostly don't see 3D movies. No? Uh, yeah, I, I think uh, for the most, I mean, unless there's some specific, like when Avatar came out and they were right. like, this 3D is different. Right. Like, yeah. Most mostly, I'm like, yeah. I, I mean, I have my whole life is 3D. I walk around and like, look, this. I just reach out and touch your laptop. Oh, hey, it is. Look, a table. Look, the microphone. You. Uh, sincerely, I mean, I, it is cool that they can do it. But when I'm going to the movie, it's you know usually a fictional story. It's usually just something that's going into my brain, and I'm like, I enjoy it the most. Uh, when I'm just seeing it. Also, now I have Movie Pass, and it doesn't cover 3D. See, I love the old-time 3D stuff. With sure. the, I remember they made a big deal out of, uh, re, I think it was like Revenge of the Creature, mm-hmm. was on WFLD, Channel 32 in Chicago when I was a teenager, and they were going to show a black-and-white movie in 3D on TV. Hmm. You had to go to 7-Eleven to get your special glasses to watch it. And I see, I love that in-your-face weird 3D, like the the Friday 13th. The guy's playing with the yo-yo, and they zip down, and they show the yo-yo coming off the screen. Sure. I was all about the campy entertainment stuff. I, I don't care so much about the depth. I mean, it's beautiful, and it's a cool art form. But to me, that's it. But we were just talking about the fact that Apple is doing these kind of uh, VR goggles now where you can be in there. You feel like you're there oh, at these yeah. locations. I've, I've done, I, a friend of mine has the uh, Rick and Morty virtual reality game. Okay. And it's so much fun to, I mean, it, that's a different thing. It's not just like looking around, like when you can actually move yourself, your body and like interact, like, you know, pick things up and affect things. You know, I mean, it's like, it's a video game, but it's like you're in the video game in a way that's totally like different than anything I'd experienced before. I wonder how far we are away from virtual reality comedy clubs where I can plug in at home, put on my goggles, and I'm sitting at Acme Comedy Club with the live audience and they're piping in the sounds because I'll tell you, and I don't know where you stand on this, very few comedians stand up for me uh, pardon the pun, I when you it. watch video. Mm. I, and I'll sit there and, I'll, and people will rave about Jim Jeffries and rave about Jim Jeffries. And I go watch a video and I'm like, I don't get it. And then I see Jim Jeffries and I laugh myself sick at his show. And I'm like, what the hell was the difference? Was it really just being in that audience and and feeling that live energy? And is there that that 
yeah, separation of watching it on TV that kind of distorts it for me? Uh, it's certainly when it's a, I mean, in some ways, the difference between being a part of it and just just being a witness to it, even though when you are a part of it, when you're in the room, you're also, your part is in part witnessing. But when you're, it's just one level removed when you're like, oh, I'm watching other people watch this thing, or I'm watching as opposed to like really engaging with it. Um, I, I don't know exactly what it is, but yeah, there is some sort of like magic to being uh, present. There's, you know, but then there are some of those comedians that you can watch that transcend. You watch the video, and I'll I'll laugh just as hard at a video than I will as watching it in in a public place. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, my videos are wonderful. Uh, your, you should yours definitely. are. I, I've actually, my <laughs> wife and I were watching, getting a big because when I know I'm going to be doing the show. Sure. I'm I'm like, who's going to be on? And and she goes, uh, Mike. Kaplan's gonna be on check it out so she started popping up videos we were laughing that was a good when you bring it in so it makes it very um uh, contextual I can feel like I'm I'm getting what you're saying you're talking to me so I, I get that kind of humor but there are some of them that just seem like they're they forget and they're they're going for an audience like a, an a auditorium audience like a Dane Cook sure and there's kind of that break where I feel like in those senses you need to be in oh, yeah. that like I've seen, I mean, Dane Cook wasn't my favorite when right. I first heard of him, but then a, a guy that I really respected, uh, Dave Walsh, a comedian in Boston, where I was starting, he was like, you got to see him live. And then I did see him live a couple times and it like blew my mind. And I'm like, wow, this is like, this guy is really something special and amazing that doesn't translate for me as much, you know, watching him on a screen as it did being in the room. And there was this electricity and whatever else has, you know, come of, you know, him, his career, his life since then like i mean i i remember having those you know beautiful experiences and so i think that and then when i listened to his like madison square garden album like i i can't ima- i can't imagine that even if i was there like that's just not it's not the same way of enjoying comedy in like you know even a thousand seat theater or like you know a, a 200 300 400 seat comedy room or like you know a 50 seat black but like you know there's so many you know sarah silverman did a comedy special in a 37 seat room and like right. i you know i would much prefer like a small full room than you know a giant like the the thing with madison square garden is like people and for dane cook he became a rock star and people were there like screaming instead of like laughing at his jokes they were cheering when he'd name a topic and it just was that wasn't the way that comedy that even when i it, when i've loved him doing comedy like it wasn't the same thing so i think uh it does depend on you know the person the venue and like the circumstances then uh, you've got you've got edgy comedians like tig right sure. and she just goes in that special she just go to people's houses and do comedy in their living room with them or at their family Does reunion. Tig, or is that uh, Maria Tig, Bamford as well? Or I don't know if she did. I know Tig Notaro did it because it was okay. part of her special, but I was like, oh, cool. that's genius. She would like do a social media giveaway and, and things, and she'd show up at your family reunion and do a comedian spot standing on, on the back of a tractor trailer and do this. And I thought that's really cool when you can push the boundaries and take comedy into that kind of contextual environment mm-hmm. and still – hit well then i i would recommend because i i haven't seen that special then i have seen maria bamford's newest netflix special old baby mm-hmm. where she starts just do, like she did one special that was the special 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 mm-hmm. where it's just her doing comedy to her parents that's it and this one is she starts i forget how small the audience is it might be like a park bench like maybe at one or a few other people and then throughout the special she goes to big like she's in a bookstore and then she's in like a small club and then eventually it ends with her at a theater and it's just you know the same like the whole set like you could listen to an album of her doing that material all to one audience like a a standard normal Mm. conventional comedy audience but then you can watch the special where it just like builds from you know initially just connecting with one or a few people and then to until it's her being you know her same self but connecting with you know a whole theater full of people and it's pretty cool do you see now there's an an interesting aspect to me is you look at comedians like margaret cho Mm -hmm. and when she first came out i thought she was funny but then to me, it just got uh, – it got – okay, it was just funny voices and, and kind of making fun of her mom's reaction to everything she lived through. And I, I lost that interest in, in her comedy. And you some of these people that rely on the funny voices – see, I was never – and I know Tom was a fan and, and the, the show here was friends with um, – Ralphie May. Mm-hmm. I never got Ralphie May. I just couldn't connect. I couldn't feel the the kind of, oh yeah, this is my my style of comedy. You know, I I, I dig this. I got him in small doses. To me, he was a, an SNL kind of comedy. You know, I, I could take a few minutes 
but I couldn't anything stretched out over that. I, I lost the interest, and then I watch. But then you've got guys like Brian Regan, who apparently we both have the same kind of interest and affinity for. And you you get a guy, and and I love that comedy can bring people together to a, a, a conversational point where I'm with my. 14-year-old or 15-year-old son in the car, and we're listening to the comedy channel on Sirius. And Brian Regan's got us in tears, right? Sure. And then he'll he'll talk to me, and he's like, Dad, isn't it interesting? Because I wonder if this would be as funny if he got up and he's like, so I started a juicing diet, and, you know, my first thing I wanted to try was bananas. And I put them in, and and... And I was waiting for that that tasty nectar to come out. And he said, I just don't think that – but it's the way Regan kind of, where's that tasty nectar? And you, you listen to the voices and the, the over-exaggeration, and you can see some people like Emo Phillips who made a career out of being this quirky, weird, almost alien – character but also the first time i ever came across emo phillips jokes they were in a book and they're perfect jokes to be read like they right. w- without that voice like i didn't i bought a cd because i read his jokes on a page and then i listened to a cd and i had no idea that it was going to be the weird voice that it was and i was like wow like to me you know he he doesn't quote have to do that uh but he's he gets to he gets to do whatever he wants he's chosen uh to present his art the way that he does but also like if you just read all of his jokes on a on a page like i laugh out loud at them and so Obviously, like you're like Margaret Cho, like the voices of her mother is not your favorite. But with Brian, uh, you're like, the voices are great. Like, I mean, obviously, it's the voices aren't the only thing. And I would say also with Margaret Cho, the voices aren't the only thing. She's probably put out, you know, maybe five hours of comedy since her first special uh, that you did like. And you probably haven't watched all of those because at a certain point you were like, well, this isn't for me anymore. Because not every, you know, not every comedian and not every special of every comedian, not every point of every comedian's career is for everybody. It's like, you know, you can go to like the the most amazing restaurants in town and they all have different kinds of food and even if they're all the best you know the critics agree and popular you know uh, if you voted like everybody agrees you know like the rotten tomatoes gives it 99 percent. but if it's a food that you don't like the flavor of even if everyone likes it then you won't you're not right. obligated like you won't like and so it's possible that ralphie may isn't your flavor or if you saw him live maybe he would be or there's some people that you'll only love live and some people that won't translate uh, and some people that will. Isn't it, it when you watch like a, a comedian that goes up, maybe a newer comedian that's bombing mm-hmm. and they're very awkward on stage and they're doing this and you look at it and you're like, why am I not? Th- this isn't connecting. But then the next comedian, like an emo film Phillips can come out whose whole shtick is being awkward and like, I'm not sure this joke is going to work. And you're roaring. And I think, why is it that what what is it about that one way that it's delivered that it's with you? Oh God, Mike! That was a horrible joke. What? What did I do? No, but I'm just saying, right? You can, and then you hit somebody else, and they can have that same kind of awkward shtick, and people are just tearing it up, and they're roaring in the aisles. Well, I think uh, for myself, I can I can only speak to my own experience. That like when I started, I wasn't you know as like I'm better now than I was right uh, 15 years ago, hopefully right. And but one of the things and that I sort of like can. Con- conceive of and sort of frame in my head like in the beginning I was basically like so do, there's this guy do you know Brent Weinbach he's a wonderful comedian no I'm not he, familiar he has a either a new special or a special that just came out on like iTunes Amazon various places check out Brent Weinbach he's real weird and wonderful and he he had this joke that I love that makes me that'll help me tell it, like this point uh, it's that he's like and I'm gonna butcher it a little bit but the concept is he's like some people when they pick up the phone they say hello like hello and some he's like not me when i pick up the phone i say hello because you don't question the phone you answer the phone and so i think about that in terms of like in the beginning like you know comedians tell jokes but in the beginning it's more like that i was asking jokes i'm like is this good is this funny is this and so that lack of confidence is number like it could have been a funny idea that eventually like a year later five years later ten years later audiences would love when i'm like this is a joke but when i'm like is it people are like i don't know you tell us and I think that even when an idea didn't work in the beginning, I just be like, well, that didn't work. Oh, well, I thought it was funny. But later, eventually I came to, you know, sort of stylistically discover that I could even try out new things because I was funny. Even if a joke wasn't, I could be like, oh, well, in the beginning, I'd be like, that's not funny. Well, now, at least isn't it funny that I thought it was funny? Aren't I being funny right. presenting you this idea that's not funny? And so I think that that's the difference between a comedian uh, who's just starting out, who isn't confident yet, and who isn't themselves yet, hasn't become and discovered all that they have, which isn't to say that I have reached, you know, nobody, well, as you're living, you never reach, like, the end. You, you're perfection. You're never like, I found it. This is it. 
forever. Like you're hopefully <laughs> always growing and learning and changing. And there's another thing. Do you know this thing? Uh, conscious competence versus like unconscious. Like when you start out something, you are unconsciously incompetent at it usually, meaning you're very bad and you don't know mm -hmm. that you're bad. Then eventually, like that's for, that's where I was as a comedian. I was bad and I didn't know it. Then you, you gain enough skill that you're like, oh, I'm consciously incompetent. Now I know that I'm not good. At least that self-awareness helps you then gain enough skill that you can get to conscious competence and then hopefully unconscious competence, which is that you're just naturally, effortlessly. When you learn to, to get over ass if the joke was funny and then just presenting it as though I know this is funny did you notice a change in the audience as well where all of a sudden they were like with you as opposed to rooting I, for you yes I, I would say yes in general and that it was a gradual change it wasn't just like one day I was like this is what I have to do but yeah over the course of several years I was like oh this is what happened I assessed after the fact very cool. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Dr. Knowledge will join us with the all-time book of fascinating facts and catch us up to date on why is Friday the 13th so stigmatized? What is it about this date that people find uh, a, a source of fear? Oh, God. And what are the upsides of the number 13? We'll discuss that when we return. I'm Dave Schrader filling in for Tom Bernard on The Tom Bernard Show. It's Tom telling you how easy it's been for me to lose weight on the Nutramost Weight Loss Plan. I've started up another round at the new Nutramost Plymouth location, and those unwanted pounds are going fast. I've lost over 34 pounds. Nutramost is so easy, and they guarantee that you'll lose 20 pounds or more in just 40 days. There's no exercise, shots, drugs, prepackaged food, and I'm never hungry. Nutramost has helped me change my life, and I know they can help you too. Nutramost of Plymouth is hosting a second free informational dinner. Learn how to have success losing weight just like me. Neil Sheehy, Nutramost client and owner, who played nine years in the NHL and is an agent to some of the NHL's current top players, will be at the dinner, and so will I, actually. It's Monday, April 30th, 6 p.m. at Jake City Grill in Plymouth, located around the corner from Nutramost, just off Highway 55 and 494. Space is limited. Call 763-333-7337 to register. That's 763-333-7337. I'm here with my real estate agent, Chris Lindahl. And after seeing what he did for me, I asked if he had something that would help our listeners. Chris, what do you got? We have something very special for KQ listeners. April 16th through the 18th, the Chris Lindahl team is hosting our SellerWorkshop.com series, where we're going to teach you how to net between thirty dollars to $60,000 more on your home sale. And the best part is it's absolutely free. So that sounds great, Chris, but what's the catch? Tom, here's what I'll share with you. The number one core value at the Chris Lindahl team is to be generous. I have a teaching degree, and this is my passion to educate homeowners in the Twin Cities on how to sell your house the right way so you don't end up leaving tens of thousands of dollars on the table going through the traditional real estate process. So go to sellerworkshop.com for times and locations and to sign up for your free ticket. The seller workshops are happening April 16th through the 18th. Seating is limited, and trust me, they sell out fast. Visit SellerWorkshop.com or call 763-401-SOLD. If you haven't already, make sure to check out the best of the Tom Bernard Show, brought to you by Brad, Sean, Bryant, or as he's known, the backup to my hard drive, every Saturday at noon for highlights from the past week and classic moments from our vault. If you guys believe in some supernatural stuff, anybody here believe in ghosts, clap your hands if you're wrong. Anybody who believes in ghosts. And I don't want to... Say that I know everything, of course. I don't have all the experiences. And so I just don't want anyone's beliefs to infringe on anybody else's and hurt other people. So whatever you believe, believe it. And just let me believe what I believe. Like one time I was telling an audience that I didn't believe in ghosts and a woman yelled at me from the crowd. She was like, boo! I was like, you can't trick me. You're not one. I know that. That's uh, 100%. Do you guys believe in psychics? I have a psychic on my podcast. Do you guys believe in podcasts? They're not real. So a podcast is like the ghost of a radio show, I would say. And that was the segment my wife uh, shared with me <laughs> since I host a paranormal show, which reminds me, tonight at 10 p.m. Central, I will be on The Dark Zone on Facebook doing a live Facebook chat. We'll be talking all aspects of the paranormal and about how Mike Kaplan is completely wrong about the existence of ghosts. Ooh. So check it out. Uh, no, check it out tonight, The Dark Zone on Facebook. Uh, you'll be able to find out and, and watch and be a part of the live Q&A that I'll be doing on that. Tonight on Coast to Coast AM, the best in overnight talk radio, our next guest will be joining for a much longer segment. He's nicknamed Dr. Knowledge, and he's built one of the largest collections in the world of fascinating facts and stories that serve as a source for his Knowledge in a Nutshell book series. 
And uh, today he's here to talk to us about Friday the 13th and other superstitions. Joining us on the line right now, the author of the all-time book of fascinating facts, Dr. Knowledge himself, Charles, is it Reich Bloom? Yeah, it's close enough, Dave. All right, Charles, thanks a lot for joining us today. Uh, thanks for having me. Friday the 13th, why is why does this day have such a stigma attached well, to it? Well, let's start with the fact that every year, unfortunately, must have a Friday the 13th. Just the way our calendars are sequenced, there has to be at least one Friday the 13th every year. As a matter of fact, this year we have two of them. Uh, today, uh, Friday, April 13th, and then July we'll have a uh, Friday the 13th as well. And uh, any month that starts on a Sunday, any time the first of the month is a Sunday, you're going to have <laughs> Friday the 13th uh, that month. Uh, anyhow, it all started um, with an old Viking tradition, and that's interesting for you folks up in Minnesota. Uh, traditionally, there was a victory dinner by a group of uh, Viking soldiers many, many years ago, and there were 12 of them that were celebrating a victory, and a 13th man crashed the party. Uh, there was fighting, there was killing, and that seemed to sort of start the tradition of 13 being an unlucky number since he was the 13th person there. And there were other cultures as well where, for one reason or another, 13 became unlucky, and then that was all amplified by the Last Supper, which had 13 people uh, at the Last Supper. And the 13th person there was Judith, who, of course, betrayed Jesus. And that that really seemed to solidify 13 as, as being unlucky because he was the 13th person there. And, of course, the crucifixion took place on a Friday, uh, which in some people's minds made Friday an unlucky date. Now... There are other cultures as well where 13 became unlucky, but the surprising thing is that after all these years, uh, we still, many, many, many people still, you know, uh, believe in a Friday the 13th jinx or being unlucky or whatever. Uh, there are still hotels, uh, tall hotels today, uh, that don't have a 13th floor on purpose for that reason. There are uh, high office buildings that don't have a 13th floor. And so after all these years, uh, people still have that fear of 13. There are some people who, uh, it's been reported, won't even go out on a Friday the 13th. Um, so the, the jinx still exists. But on the other hand, uh, and this is kind of interesting, 13 really has been a very lucky number for the United States when you stop to think about it. And I think we, most of us will agree that the United States is the greatest country ever created, uh, greatest country on earth, and yet 13 was very much in our creation. We had 13 colonies, as you know. Uh, we started with 13 states. Our flag has 13 stripes uh, to commemorate the original 13 states. The great seal of the United States, which you can see on the back of the $1 bill, has an eagle who has 13 stars and 13 stripes on his chest. He's holding uh, 13 arrows in one hand and 13 olive branches and olives in the other hand. Uh, the motto of the United States is E Pluribus Unum, which has 13 letters in it. The man who designed the great seal of the United States, his name was William Barton, happens to have 13 letters in his name. So 13, uh, really, you might say, has been very lucky for the United States. Uh, unless you look at some of the other things that have happened in the United States that haven't been so lucky, so. <laughs> All right, but you've got, uh, they're well, just there, showing there the was ties. One. There yeah. was one for sure, and that was Apollo 13. Right. All, all the manned space flights to the moon were successful except Apollo 13. We had Apollo 11, of course, was the first uh, space flight that took uh, humans to the moon with Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, and Michael Collins. Then there was Apollo 12, which was successful. 13 wasn't. 14, 15, 16, and 17 were all successful. Those were all the Apollo flights, the only flights that put humans on the moon. The only one that didn't work out was Apollo 13. And there were a lot of people before that uh, space shot was made, before Apollo 13 left the Earth, people said, please don't use 13, don't call it Apollo 13. 
13. But they did, and sure enough, uh, there was trouble on Apollo 13. First of all, amazingly, launch time just happened to be at 1313 military time. That's 113 our time. The military, of course, uses a 24-hour clock. So launch time for Apollo 13 just happened to be, of all things, 1313. And then on the second day of the flight, which was on, would you believe, April 13th, uh, that's when the oxygen tank exploded on board Apollo 13, and that prevented them going on to the moon, and they had to come back to Earth. That's when James Lovell, the commander, made the famous comment, Houston, we have a problem here when the oxygen tank exploded. The one lucky thing about Apollo 13 was that the three astronauts did get back safely. They didn't get to the moon, but they did get back to Earth safely. Well, I was going to say, right. I mean, it's all kind of in your perception of what's lucky and what's unlucky. They didn't make it to the moon, but they were lucky enough to survive that incident and and get back here. Now, we've heard, you know, thanks to the Brady Bunch, we've all, you know, encountered the unlucky cousin, Oliver. Can people really be jinxed? Yeah, I th- you know, there are people who believe that. Uh, as I say, this goes back so many years, and it's lasted so many centuries, uh, 13 being unlucky, and Friday being unlucky, by the way. Uh, I just did another radio interview on another radio station, and they said, yeah, Friday's unlucky, except a lot of people really like Fridays. <laughs> Last day of the work week for many people. Uh, but there are people who, who think Friday is unlucky, and, of course, the combination of Friday the 13th makes it doubly unlucky in some people's minds, in many people's minds. Right. But you were talking about jinxed people and people with that are just bad luck. There's a very famous uh, gentleman who was witnessed not for one, not for two, but is involved in three different assassinations, correct? Yeah, this is correct, and, and, and this is a absolutely true story. One man was on the scene when three U.S. presidents were assassinated. We've had, excuse me, four presidential assassinations. One man was there for three of them, and that was Abraham Lincoln's son, Robert Lincoln. They ever question him? (laughs) (laughs) Well, let me tell you the story. Uh, Robert, uh, of course, was with his father, Abraham Lincoln, right after Abraham Lincoln was shot in 1865. And then Robert Lincoln himself went into politics uh, a few years later and was in the cabinet of President James Garfield in 1881. Garfield was leaving on a train trip from the Washington, D.C. Railroad Station. The cabinet went down to say goodbye to him. They had some things to talk about. And a man came up to uh, President Garfield. Uh, He was described as a disappointed office seeker, a man that uh, thought he had been promised a job by Garfield, and he didn't get the job. And in any case, he, he shot Garfield and killed him. And Robert Lincoln was standing about two feet away from President Garfield when Garfield was assassinated. Can I? And then that was 1881. Incredibly, 20 years later, in 1901, uh, by that time Robert Lincoln had left politics. He went into business. He was head of the Pullman Company, which was a big deal in those days. He became very wealthy, and he was elected president of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. There was a business exposition in Buffalo, New York. And President William McKinley invited Robert Lincoln to come to the business exposition since he was head of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. And just as Robert Lincoln walked in the exhibition hall where this business exposition was taking place, there was a receiving line, and a man got in the receiving line. He had his hand bandaged and had a revolver hidden under the bandage. And, of course, in those days, they didn't have uh, metal detectors. Anyhow, he came up uh, in the receiving line and shot and killed President William McKinley, and again, Robert Lincoln was standing right there. And we say in our book, the all-time book of Fascinating Facts, uh, Robert Lincoln vowed at that time he would never again get anywhere near a president. And we say in the book, probably nobody would have invited him anyhow. <laughs> uh, and he, he lived another 25 years, by the way. He lived till 1926 and built a home up in Vermont and basically stayed there and never went to Washington the rest of his life. Can I add, uh, I just did a little research and found out that uh, James Garfield was killed on a Saturday. So while uh, Friday is unlucky for some people, and normally we think of Garfield as hating Mondays, this Garfield hated Saturdays. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's right. Okay. What uh, What are some of the other facts? As you're kind of researching and digging these kind of things up, were there even facts that surprised you? 
Oh, yeah. Uh, a lot. And I've been collecting these for like 50 years. So one thing, if you just want to talk about food for a moment, uh, I don't know how often we think about this, but we sit down to eat a hamburger, and we look at the hamburger, and do we ever stop to think, there is no ham in hamburgers, so why in the world are they called hamburgers? So there is no ham in them. <laughs> and the reason is, uh, the story is that uh, a lot of German immigrants came to the United States in the late 1800s, and the people from the city of Hamburg, Germany, brought with them their custom of ground meat, which was unusual in those days. And they started uh, serving and eating ground meat here in the United States. People here started calling the ground meat hamburgers after the people from Hamburg, Germany. So the next time you have a hamburger, realize there is no ham in it, but uh, the name comes from the city of origin, Hamburg, Germany. Very much, by the way, like Frankfurters, uh, that word comes from Frankfurt, Germany, where Frankfurters were made. Wieners, we get that word from uh, the capital of Austria, Vienna, which the Germans pronounce as Wien in their language, W-E-I-N, and that's where the word Wieners comes from. Um, but anyhow, the next time you have a hamburger, realize there ain't no ham. <laughs> and also, hamburgers. there's no Frank in Frankfurt, or no person named Frank. Maybe a rat. No. Maybe a rat named Frank. We don't know that, yeah, right? The true. barber of uh, Demon Street, or the demon of Barber Street, whatever Fleet it was. Street. Fleet Street. That's what it was. <laughs> He'll have us believe a different story. Uh, the books you're going to be on for a couple hours tonight on Coast to Coast AM and taking some phone calls, correct? Exactly. Yes, Dave. Uh, Good. So people can check that out at Coast to Coast AM. Dot com and uh, I'll be hosting on the 20th and 21st of April, so make sure you check that out. Uh, thank you so much, Charles, for stopping by and giving us a little insight on Friday the 13th. Well, and we'd like to invite people to go to our website, which is knowledgeinanutshell.com. It's one word, knowledgeinanutshell.com, and you can see our book, The All-Time Book of Fascinating Facts, which has these stories and uh, lots of others in them, and uh, you can take a look at the book there. And it's, it's uh, one nice thing about it, we found since it came out that really all ages enjoy it. Uh, kids like it. Uh, adults, of course, do. Uh, people have bought it for their kids and vice versa. And uh, it does make a nice gift as well. Very good. Thank you, Charles Reichblum, our guest. And thank you, Mike uh, Kaplan, for coming in and spending some time with us. You're going to oh. be at Acme for the next two nights, 8 and 10.30 p.m. showings. A few tickets that still remain, so you can check that out online. And uh, make sure you go check out the show. Again, what are you going to do? Sit at home feeling blah and sorry for yourself because you it's crummy not. weather? No. Get out and go to Acme. Have a great time tonight. Have a couple of drinks and enjoy the comedy stylings of Mike Kaplan. And uh, it's been a great time sitting in. And remember, we opened up the show with Mark Anthony. Anthony talking about the Ghost of Flight 401 and superstitions. If you'd like to hear the entire story, you can check out my show, darknessradio.com. Today, our Friday the 13th edition show, as we dig deeper into the case of the, the ghosts of uh, Flight 401 and uh, talk with uh, Mark Anthony, plus a brand new theater of the mind. I want to thank Tom and the family for letting me sit in, and of course, for uh, Molina for uh, engineering and keeping the show flowing and the great musical choices. And Mike Kaplan again tonight at Acme Comedy Club. I'll be back again visiting with Tom next Tuesday right here on the Tom Bernard Show. (laughs) 